Okay, so we started talking about this last week about trying to classify what the Yetzirah is, Yetzirah's evil inclination, subject of tonight's discussion. And last week we demonstrated with copious evidence that the Yetzirah essentially is about distortion. For example, the Gemara, the Gemara says, Yetzirah creates darkness, confusion, obscurity, and thus it can augment, just like the Leaven augments the matzah and makes it bread and transforms it from being mere sustenance into an experience onto its own. The Yetzirah, the way it operates, is that it causes us to perceive pleasures to be real exciting, even when they're not so exciting in reality. And it creates needs that aren't real. And I think when we have this mindset and this understanding of the Yetzirah <laughs> as being really uh, a scam artist, a con artist. That is very useful when we want to try to figure out strategies and tactics to combat it. Um, so I want to start with, just to demonstrate this, there's a famous Gemara here in source number one in Sanhedrin that uh, is talking about a certain Yetzirah. This Gemara is also found, I think, in Sukkah on page 52. Amr Yehuda. So it's talking about someone who converted his nightly bed into his day bed, which means he engaged in activities that are usually reserved for nighttime, and he did it during the day. And the reason why he did that is because someone wa- he wanted it to quell his Yetzirah, his evil inclination, she shouldn't have any desires. He figured what he'll do is, is he'll engage in nighttime activities during the day and that will satiate his desires and quell his Yetzirah. That was his rationale. And the Gemara says, When he did this, he forgot a halacha. The halacha says, There's a small organ in a man, masbio ra'ev marivo savea. It's there's an organ in man that functions in the exact opposite way that you would expect. Normally, if something's hungry and you feed it, it's satiated. Whereas in this particular organ that we're referencing here, when you feed it, it gets hungry. When you starve it, it's satiated. So it's the opposite uh, effect. If someone wants to quell their desires. Uh, for for uh, for uh, sexuality, uh, if they want to, if they feed it, they just add more fuel to the furnace, and it actually has a negative effect. Uh, as opposed to if they starve it, then it's actually satiated. That's what the Gemara says. Very famous Gemara, and I think this is really illustrative of 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 our statement or our understanding perception of the Yetzirah. The Yetzirah is not highlighting real needs. You need the matzah. That's all you need comes along the Yetzirah and creates a new need that's actually not true. If it was true, if there was a need, you address the need and the need is taken care of. It's mollified. It's assuaged. Right? And if, it's, if, it's a, if it was a real need, then you, you feed it and then it's, it's taken care of. We need sustenance. You're hungry. You, di- you give it the sustenance. You give it what it wants, so to speak, and now you're not hungry anymore. Whereas in this particular organ and area of life, it's the opposite. When it's when you starve it, when you don't feed it, that's when you have satiation. Whereas when you feed it, you have just more starvation. You're just you're, you're, you'll never actually get satiation by feeding it. Now there's an interesting Gemara about this. Well, first of all, the Gemara tells us this was not in your sheets. 
There's a Gemara in Shabbos that says, it quotes a, a verse that um, describes, um, it's a, it's a very a ghastly description of a woman. I'm not going to read it. Um, but what the Gemara essentially says that a, a woman can be uh, nauseating, yet people will still desire her. So Rashi says there, I just read the Rashi, Imlo melech, if not for the edict of the king, i.e. God, if not for God instilling desire, lo there's no real reason for taiva for lust. Right? Because it's something which can potentially be nauseating, yet it's lust just because God decrees it to be lustful, not because it's in a real way addressing a real need. And I think when we have this angle on the Yetzirah and what it tries to cause us to sin and to have misdirection in life, I think it really is going to give us a, a nice uh, approach to try to combat it. Now, I want to look at the next source here. Uh, this is from the Bracious Rabbah. From, uh, we mentioned the source, a part of the source last time. Uh, the source says here, Rav Nachman Bar Shmuel uh, said, um, And behold, the Almighty saw everything that he created, and behold, it was exceedingly good. What does this mean? Tov is Yetzer Tov. Tov Ma'od is Yetzer Ra. When something's good, it's referring to the good inclination. Something's bad, something's exceptionally good, exceedingly good, inordinately good, that's referring to the Yetzirah, the bad inclination. And ask the Midrash, Can the Yetzirah be very good? How can the Yetzirah, how can something bad be good? If not for the Yetzirah, if we didn't have a Yetzirah, Lo bana adam bias, lo nasa isha, velo holid, if someone didn't have Yetzirah, they wouldn't do four things. They wouldn't build any houses. They wouldn't marry women. They wouldn't have children. They wouldn't procreate. And they wouldn't do any business. Now that we have Yetzirah, it's good because it gives us all these benefits to society. People do business. People have kids. People have houses. And, and, and life goes on. So there's a statement here. What the, what the Medrash is saying, if we did not have Yetzirah, people would have no desire to get married to have children, to do business, and to build houses. And the question is, why these four things? Uh, but more importantly, if you actually look at this list, two of them are actually mitzvos. The Rambam tells us that to get married is actually a mitzvah on its own merit. And to have children is also a mitzvah, right? To procreate is a mitzvah. Right, so how is it possible if someone did not have a Yetzirah, even mitzvos they wouldn't want to do? So I have a theory to try to understand this. I think we don't really understand how powerful the Yetzirah is. It creates our perception, our worldview. When we look at our life and we think about ourselves as being bodies, we think of this world as being important in any way, shape, or form, that is strictly the byproduct of the Yetzirah. So, to build a house, it's, it's to invest in this world, in this life, in this existence. If someone didn't have Yetzirah, that would be entirely illogical to do that. It wouldn't make any sense. Certainly, to do business, to try to amass material wealth, would be asinine if we didn't have Yetzirah. Because this world would have no value. You'd be a soul, entirely undiluted soul. All you'd care about is matters of spirituality. But I think even marriage and children would also fall under that uh, category. So I think it's clear that this Medrash does not learn like the Rambam that marriage is a mitzvah. 
because marriage, according to most Rishon, most commentators, they disagree with the Rambam. They say marriage is not a mitzvah. Marriage is just an enabling mitzvah. It's a heksha mitzvah. It enables a mitzvah. Um, but I think even having children, having children is, is the one mitzvah that A, the time of the action that brings about the mitzvah is nine months separate from the actual mitzvah's fulfillment, but also the action does not necessarily guarantee the result because many people, unfortunately, don't have children, no matter how hard they try. And I think what it's saying is like this. If you didn't have a Yitzhah, the only thing that would matter is matters of spirituality of your neshama. And therefore, someone would be doing mitzvahs all the time. And even when there's another mitzvah, but because it's a little bit of a less certain mitzvah, because if you're studying Torah, you're guaranteed to have a mitzvah, and it's right here, it's immediate. If you want to have children, you may be unsuccessful, number one. Number two, it's a mitzvah that comes down to nine, nine months down the road. So the calculation someone without a Yitzhara would make is that it doesn't make any sense. Why should I invest in some future thing that may or may not be real when I have a mitzvah right in front of me? And thus, you wouldn't even do the mitzvahs because you would make a calculation and say, I'll do a different mitzvah that's of greater importance. Now we have a Yitzhah, and that actually helps us to do mitzvahs because it does bind us to this world, even though that brings a lot of problems with it, but there's a lot of benefit to it because life can continue and flourish. So while the Yitzhah itself is just a, it's just a, a smoke screen. It's smoke and mirrors. It's not real. It's interesting that if you look at the next two sources, it's clear that once someone adopts the Yetzirah and starts to follow its commands, it actually changes. It doesn't become something that's not necessary. It actually becomes very necessary because the person develops a dependency and an addiction towards it, and that becomes part of their physiology to need it. So the Gemara says um, in, um, in Sukkah, it describes it as follows. It says, the, initially, the Yetzirah is comparable to a thin strand of hair. It's like a spider's web. It's very thin. But in the end, i.e., after many sins, many t- every time you sin, you're reinforcing that stream, you're making it stronger, and the bind that it has over you even stronger, and it becomes ke'avusas hagala, like the ropes that schlep a carriage, very thick ropes. So the Yetzirah itself changes. Essentially, it's smoke and mirrors. Essentially. But it can develop into something more substantial in the person and cause them to have dependency and addiction even. In fact, the next Gemara talks about, this is the Gemara about addiction, and the Gemara says, Kol ha-porish miminus meis. It's talking about two kinds of Yetzirah. There's a Yetzirah that is extinct, called minus, heresy. There used to be an unbelievably difficult, strong Yetzirah for heresy. That is gone. But the Gemara is discussing when this was still extant, when there was still a Yetzirah for minus, for heresy, someone who was steeped into it, and they would... Porish, they would withdraw from Minus, right away they would die. Just like today, someone has a chemical dependency on heroin, for example, and they stop cold turkey overnight, they'll die because their body actually changes its physiology and it begins to develop a certain dependency on it, just like it needs oxygen and water and food and needs heroin. So to someone who incorporates Yetzirah of Minus into their, into their lifestyle, they become dependent upon it as well. And the Gemara says, Ume Avero lo, and from Avero, which is a reference to sexuality, is that not true? The Gemara brings a proof that even from the other kind of Yetzirah, the kind for Avera, 
it's also can create a dependency and thus cause someone to die if they withdraw from it. Uh, so, so the Gemara says, the Gemara brings, this is the famous story of Rabbi Eliezer ben Durdoi. He was a, uh, a connoisseur of women of ill repute. And when he withdrew from that, he died. Uh, and the Gemara says, Kevin de Ovidbe, once they, someone comes attached to it, it's Keminus Dami. It's, it's, it has the same status of Minus, of being capable of creating dependency. So the Yetzirah, it starts off being a smoke street. Essentially, that's what it is. But once someone invites it into their, into their inner, so to speak, they actually change and they become dependent upon it. But at its core, it is really not comprised of anything real. And I think in light of that, we can see the next three solutions that we're told in, in Jewish sources of how to resist and combat it. They really make a lot of sense in light of this introduction. So for example, the Mishnah tells us in Pirkei Avos, Yafet Talmud Torah It's nice, it's appropriate, it's wonderful to have Torah study together with labor, with work. Why? Because toiling in both of them makes someone forget to sin. This is an interesting word usage. What it's saying is, if someone is involved in other things, their Yitzhah doesn't remind them to sin, which is also surprising. Like If I didn't remind you to eat, you'd still feel hungry, because hunger is a real need. Your body needs to be sustained. Unless you're Moshe Rabbein, your body doesn't need to be sustained. But your body needs to be sustained, so that you don't have to be reminded to eat, you're reminded internally. The Yetzirah, it's not a real need, and therefore if you're busy with other things, your Yetzirah does not have an opportunity to stick his two cents in, and therefore you can just forget about sinning because you're so busy. And that's why we encourage, uh, you know, we know that uh, boredom is always a segue to sin. Because when someone is bored, that's fertile breeding grounds for distortionary, illusionary, Yetzirah, fantastical encroachments and sin. So that's so that's the first way. The first way we want to fight our Yetzirah is to just forget it. How do you forget it? By being super busy. Then let's look at the next source here. Next source is discussing someone who is confronted with a non-tsnias, a non-modest uh, display. Uh, the women would go and would clean the laundry by the river, and they'd bend down and expose themselves. And the Gemara says that it's, the Gemara discourages heavily if someone to go there and ogle at them. Uh, the Gemara has a whole question. If there's another way to do, if there's, if there's a way to avoid this, and someone... Someone is deliberately walking past the billboards. Well, then they're a Russia. Then they're a sinner. And if they're not, or there's no other way to get there, then they're an honest. They can't be blamed. But what this, but what this Gemara is essentially telling us is that you have to make a choice. If you have to make a choice whether or not you're going to encounter a, an opportunity that maybe sin can sprout up, you have to try to avoid it. And the reason why I think this is important is because... The Yetzirah, it, it, it kind of, it kind of accelerate very fast. If there's a situation where someone's passing by some place or location that's going to arouse desire, then the Yetzirah could, it could spiral out of control very fast. But when someone still has their wits with them and they can make a calculated decision, they can decide 
to avoid it, to avoid going to a certain place, talking to certain people, etc., whatever may be a cause for the eight Surah to accelerate its efforts against you, you avoid it, and then you'll never come to sin because you, you know, the ball won't get rolling. Once the ball is rolling, well then, the eight Surah can make it uh, reach the finish line, so to speak, that you want to avoid very fast. So I think this is the first one we say is forget it. Next one is avoid it. And the next one, the third one, is to delay it. And this is from the Gemara in Kiddushin. The Gemara in Kiddushin is talking about the famous Rabbi Tzadok. Rabbi Tzadok, um, if you remember, when Rabbi Yochanan Zakkai, when he meets Vespasian, he tells him to get someone to heal Rabbi Tzadok. Tzadok was, one of, was a bit tzaddik, as his name may indicate. And he was, during the times of the Romans, and at a time when Roman, especially Roman women, would try to seduce the rabbis. And Rabbi Tzadok, the Gemara says in Kedushin, uh, she he was being seduced and being prepositioned by a matronisa, a Roman noblewoman. And what did he respond? Amar la, chalash li my heart is weak, therefore I don't think I have the stamina to do what you want me to do. Ika midi lemechal, is there anything to eat to kind of boost my energy? She says, so she said to him, yes, there is something to eat, but it's not kosher. Ika dever tummy, I'm Allah, my after me no. She says, well, I'm, I'm about to sin with you. What does it matter if it's kosher or it's not kosher? I'm obviously not behaving in a kosher manner. The problem was, was that the non-kosher food that she had for him was not hot. So she lit the oven to heat up the food, and as the fire begins to take a blaze, he jumps in the furnace. And she says, what are you doing? And he tells her, well, someone who behaves like this gets cast into such a fire. And then she responds, had I known that you were so resistant to sin, I wouldn't have prepositioned to you initially. Now, what's actually going on here? So there's a whole discussion amongst the commentaries. They try to deconstruct this story. Now, the Ben Ishchai, the Ben Yehoyada, what he says is that Rabbi Tzadok actually never considered to sin. Because from the story, it seems like he actually initially entertained to actually go ahead with it. But what he suggests is that what he used was a tactic. And that tactic is called to delay. And the reason why this is so effective is because the Yetzirah creates this illusion. It creates this fantasy that really kind of gets your heart pulsating and makes you want to sin. But the problem with that is, or the, the, the vulnerability of the Yetzirah is that it creates this, what we called last week, chiddush, this, this renewal, this excitement, but that immediately begins to dissipate. And if you could kind of delay the full force of its efforts for a little bit, you know, push it off for five minutes, I'm not hungry, I'm, I'm not able to do it, I'm a little hungry, you could kind of gather yourself because the Yetzirah starts to weaken, the desire and lust starts to dissipate, and by the time you get around it, you'll be more capable of actually responding in kind. So when he's saying, I'm hungry, he's actually saying, give me a few minutes, what happens over that duration? The Yetzirah begins to quell a little bit, to, to quiet, to become, to become weakened by delaying it, you're much more capable later on, when push comes to shove, to actually make a choice to say, no, I'm not doing it, and jump into the furnace and say, I don't, I don't care, I'm, I'm, I'm resisting, come what may. The famous story with the stifler going, Rabbi Yaakov Yisrael Kaniesti, of blessed memory, he was, uh, he grew up in Russia, in a place called Stipo, I think, and uh, he lived at a time where they would conscript 
uh, young Jewish soldiers for the Tsar's army. And there's a lot of great stories and legends about his time during uh, his service where he would do everything he can to not transgress any Torah laws. So there was once a time where he uh, was a Siberian winter. We all know kind of the uh, superlative winters that they would have there. And there was once a time where he was forced to do uh, guard duty. And it was on Shabbos. And they only had, like the Russians are expected, to only have only one coat. And it was a freezing cold winter. And they only have one coat. And the coat was for the person who was outside guarding. Problem was, the guy before him had draped the coat over the tree. And on Shabbos, you're not allowed to take things off from a tree. On one hand, so he's not allowed to take the, the, the coat off the tree when the stipler comes out. On the other hand, he knows that he can legitimately freeze to death in these you know, sub-zero temperatures in the frigid Russian winter. So he's kind of told, what does he do? Well, we know that if you're going to die, you're allowed to transgress Shabbos. So what he devised was this tactic. He says, listen, right now, I just came in from the, heat, from the warmth inside. Right now, for sure, I'm not dying. I for sure have maybe five minutes, right? Five minutes, I'll see what happens in five minutes, and then I'll reevaluate uh, in five minutes to see if I'm actually dying or not. And he kept on doing five minutes after another five minutes, another five minutes, and eventually the next guy's job was, and he never used the coat and left it on the tree, and he never transgressed the shop. This is not exactly the same story, but this does show that sometimes if you're faced with a confrontation, you have the choice to make right away, you can say, well, the choice will still be there in a few minutes, let me make the choice then. Once you have, once you have that buffer, the, those couple of minutes to gather your thoughts, you're much more likely to make an informed decision when push, when you actually are forced into making that decision. Thus, initially we say at least three tactics from our sages of how to avoid a head-on confrontation. Either delay it, or, uh, or ignore it, forget about it, or avoid it entirely uh, by your behavior. Now, in the next source, we see uh, another, another approach. Uh, we see this in the next two sources. It talks about Joseph, who was pit pet beyitzro, which means Joseph belittled, denigrated, castigated, looked shamefully upon his yetzer ra. And the Gemara tells another story of a, uh, of a married couple that, wasn't, that didn't have a ksuba. They weren't fully married. They were halachically married, they had Arison, but not Nisu, not full marriage. And they were captive, taken captive amongst the Gentiles. And they said, okay, you're a slave and you're a slave woman and you're married to each other. So really, they were actually halachically married and they were put together by their captors. But because of the fact that they didn't have a finalized version of their marriage, therefore they said, we're not going to consummate the marriage. And indeed, for the rest of their lives, they didn't touch each other. And when he died, she, her, his wife, told the people who were eulogizing him to say about this individual, he belittled his Yetzirah even more than Joseph. Why? Because Joseph had a famous encounter with his Yetzirah, but that was only for one hour. And that was only um, for someone who was not even married to him and someone who he didn't have to spend, they weren't roommates. Whereas this individual, he belittled his Yetzirah to such a degree that even his wife, who was legally his wife, who they were in the same 
they were roommates together and it was day in, day out for years, he did not capitulate. But within this Gemara, we see a, a, a method, an approach to how to fight the Yetzirah. The Yetzirah, he creates a, an infrastructure or a supposed infrastructure that in reality is a house of cards. The truth and the perceived truth are very different. The bread, so to speak, that he places before us is nothing more than inflated matzah. That's really the same thing. And one way we see that people combated is that they actually take what the Yetzirah is offering it. They take the bread and they stamp it back into matzah. They look at what it really is. And thus, they look at the Yetzirah, how he's changing reality, and they belittle it. They denigrate it. They, they embarrass it, so to speak. Once they realize that the evil essentially is nothing, then uh, they have an approach to how to be successful in their battle. Now, interestingly, in this, in this particular uh, idea, we're, we're told as well to not necessarily speak so much about the Yetzirah. So if you actually go to Hasidic Yeshiva, they talk, they're obsessed with Yetzirah, talking about the Yetzirah, how to avoid sin. You go to a more Lithuanian-oriented Yeshiva, they don't mention it at all. They say study Torah. These are competing philosophies based upon this point. The Hasidic argument is, save, say what it is, it's a bunch of smoke, smoke and mirrors, and stamp it out. What the Litvish yeshivas, what the Lithuanian yeshiva movement, their philosophy is, no, the more you talk about it, the more you address it, you're making it seem more real than it is, and you'll have the reverse effect that by saying and harping so much about how fake it is, you'll actually create it and make it real. And thus, the way to keep it fake is to say, just study Torah and ignore it. Okay, so look at the Gemara here in Brachos. The Gemara says, Rav Gidl, one of the Amoraim, he would go sit at the entrance of the mikvah, which is a, a surprising place for a rabbi to be seen. And the Gemara, the, the rabbi said to him, "Wait a minute! You're going to you're going to a place where there's a high likelihood of the Yetzirah rearing its ugly head. Are you not worried? Are you not worried about the Yetzirah? You have all these women going to the mikvah. It's 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 perhaps uh, you know it could get you thinking, right?" So he tells them like this, which means they appear to me like a bunch of dancing roosters. Which means what, he's, what essentially he's doing is he's belittling the notion of sin and saying, it's so silly to me, it's like a bunch of little chickens just chirping away in the coop. It doesn't mean anything Why to me. Okay, so let's look at the Gemara here. This is an amazing Gemara. The Gemara of is discussing the following dilemma. We know there's a mitzvah called prita which means if you have an animal that's laden with, uh, with uh, packages, it's a mitzvah to, to either do it yourself or to help your friend to unload their animal or to, pa- to load their animal. And of course, if you have an, one animal that needs to be loaded and one animal needs to be unloaded, which one do you do first? You obviously you unload the animal before you load the next animal because the animal is suffering under the burden of the weight of the packages. But the Gemara presents a question here. You have someone that is an ohave, someone that you love, someone that you love, they need, their animal needs to be unloaded. Someone that you hate, their animal needs to be loaded. So normally, if you have the option to unload or load an animal, you for sure unload. But here, the owners of the animals, the one that you love needs to be unloaded, and the one that you hate you can't stand the guy, his animal 
needs to be loaded, says the Gemara, in this instance, you, the mitzvah is to load the animal that, of the person that you hate. Why? Lachof etz Yitzro. To compel your Yitzer Ra. Why? You have someone you don't like. Right? Yitzra says, this guy's not my kind of guy, right? The other one is your friend. So you're inclined to help the person who's your friend. Says the Gemara, even if it means to neglect the animal that needs to be unloaded, the greater mitzvah is to fight your Yitzra, to go against what you're inclined to do and help the person that you hate because uh, that's the way of fighting fighting your Yitzra. And I think what this is telling us is an entirely different method of how to uh, combat your Yetzirah. Yetzirah tells you to do one thing. In order to weaken it and to resist and to fight back, you do the exact opposite of what it wants you to do. Yetzirah says, you have a friend and you have an enemy. What does Yetzirah tell you to, to, what are you inclined to do? You're inclined to help your friend. Specifically go the opposite direction. Help your enemy and then you'll fight your Yetzirah. There's a great story. My favorite story of all time is with Rabbi Yisrael Salanter uh, and the cigarette. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter was a smoker. One time he woke up in the middle of the night and he didn't have any cigarettes and he really wanted a cigarette. From what I gather, smokers, when they need a cigarette, it's really like a, it's really bad. So he wakes up in the middle of the night, he doesn't have a cigarette, and the only way to get a cigarette is by traveling uh, a mile uh, to uh, another part of town. And he was presented with a dilemma. On one hand, he, need, he wants a cigarette. On the other hand, he wants to go back to sleep. It's the middle of the night. So really, he has two Yetzirahs uh, in play here. There's the Yetzirah of Taiva, of fulfilling his desire for the cigarette. And there's the Yetzirah of laziness, which says, just go back to sleep and deal with it in the morning. So either way he goes, he's going to be reinforcing. If he chooses to go back to sleep, he's going to be reinforcing the Yetzirah of laziness. If he chooses to go walk the mile and get the cigarette, he's reinforcing the Yitzhara of desire. So either way, he's between a rock and a hard place. So what he chose to do, instead, he got up, he got dressed, he traveled the entire distance to the place that sold cigarettes, i.e. he showed, he fought his Yitzhara, he went in opposition to the Yitzhara, wants him to go back to sleep, he went in opposition to that, he didn't buy cigarettes, he didn't capitulate to the other Yitzhara, he gets back, goes back to sleep, and he, and he resists both Yetzirah. That's what it's telling you. There's another whole mode of fighting Yetzirah, which is to compel it, to force it, to, to resist it, to go in opposition of what it wants, to not accede to it, even if it makes sense, There's that animal needs to be unloaded, to, in order to weaken it. By the way, I think this is a, a reflection of, of Musar, in general, which is self-control. How do you have self-control? By neutralizing the control of the Yetzirah that he has on you. He's directing you how to behave, you want to fight back, you got to say, no, I'm taking the reins. Whatever you want me to do, I'm not doing. I'm resisting. I'm, I'm going to go the opposite direction and thus uh, gain control over my Yitzhak. Um The next two sources, um, they are very similar because they're actually deducing and deriving the same verse. Uh, the very long verse. I don't remember the verse. I didn't, didn't include the entire verse in the snippet. But the, the verse starts off, L'Ruach Mishpat. Someone who has the, the ruach, the spirit of judgment, that's referring to harode es yitzro, someone who, who hits their yitzer. Uliyoshev al mishpat zeh adon din emes lamito. Ulegvura zeh amesgabra al yitzro. 
Gvura and for might, that's someone who overpowers the Yetzirah. And the Gemara Megillah has a different way of understanding this. Instead of Harode es Yitzro, instead of someone who bludgeons their Yetzirah, who punishes it, it's someone who is Hadan es someone who judges. So if you remember, in Parsha's Shoftim, we have Shoftim Fishotrim. You have judges and you have enforcers. Says Rashi, what's a Shofet? Shofet is someone who's done, who judges. A Shoter is someone who enforces, who is Rode, who uh, punishes, who enforces the rule of law. And this seems to be three additional ways to fight the Yetzirah. There's Rode, there's Don, and there's Misgaber. The way this seems like to me is, number one, to judge. What does it mean, done? Someone means, means someone creates a little bit of a judicial process to analyze, to inspect, to look at the evidence, to evaluate, and to make a coherent ruling based upon the evidence. And I think using that approach of saying, okay, what are the, what's the cost-benefit analysis of sin? And using that approach, l'chashev schar mitzah keneged of seida and schar aver keneged schara, to look at what you gain and what you lose by capitulating to the Yitzhah, that method is a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a good approach to finding the Yitzhah. Additionally, there's the punishment, there's the enforcement, which means how would you enforce uh, the position of not giving it to the Yitzhah? I, I think that there's a way to do it by creating incentives, by creating like an infrastructure that maintains the rule of law. The reason why you don't run red lights, but the reason why people follow the laws is because there's a system in place to enforce the laws. If you create an internal system to enforce Torah law, if you create incentives and fines and penalties, someone who says, I'm going to give it to the Eighth Surah and I have to pay $100, if someone creates an internal uh, checks and balances to say, listen, I'm not giving it to the Eighth Surah and I'm going to enforce it. I'm going to force it and there's going to be severe consequences if I make a mistake. That approach is a very powerful one to ensure that they don't, that they don't uh, give in. And additionally, there is a mistabral yitzra. Mistabral means it's just pure, a pure brute force, to overpower it, to develop a certain internal fortitude, to resist, to say no. Perhaps we can say this is Yosef as well. Yosef, this was part of Vayima'in, the famous Shalshelis. Vayima'in, again and again and again. Just say no. And what you, your will, the will of the Yitzra, I have a greater will, and I'm going to overpower that will. Importantly, if you look at Rashi, Rashi says, Don es Yitzro, that's referring to post-sin. Someone already sinned, they could do tshuva by judging the guilty party in the aftermath of sin. Lastly, the Gemara says in Sanhedrin, a ninth way to fight the Yitzrah, Hazoveach es Yitzro, someone who sacrifices their Yitzrah and confesses. And this is talking about, this is the law of someone who is convicted of capital punishment and they are encouraged to admit and to confess because if they confess, then they still gain a portion in Olam Abba. And the Gemara brings this teaching, Am Rabbi Yishuv ben Levi, says Rabbi Yishuv ben Levi, Kal hazoveyach es Yitzro, someone who sacrifices their Yitzro, and confesses it's considered as if they gave honor to God in this world and in the next world. This is interesting. This is someone who's already lost the opportunity to change their direction in life. 
but they're still using the Yetzirah as an opportunity, using sin as an opportunity to repent. The sin is out in the open, and it's already beyond the point of uh, of repair, but looking forward to Olam Abba, when they admit their guilt and confess to God, it's considered as if they slaughtered the Yetzirah, and thus in the future, the Yetzirah will not be there to stand in their way of achieving a place in eternity. Thus we see Chazal give us different ways to uh, to fight the Yetzirah. Of course, uh, ideally, we would want to avoid it entirely, to avoid it, to resist it, to forget it, to delay, use the delay tactic, very powerful method, to go in opposition to it, to belittle it, to judge it, to to uh, enforce and bludgeon it, overpower it, to sacrifice it. There's a lot of different ways. Each one of them can be developed as a tool in our own personal war with our Yitzhah. But indeed, there's another Gemara that I avoided, the Gemara in Brachos, that talks about ways of actually achieving victory over the Yitzhah, where the Yitzhah is no longer, you're no longer in the battle that you need tactics, but the battle is won, the battle is over, and the enemy has been vanquished. God willing, we'll do that next time.